0: But whatever you call it, it's a great, it's a great uh, event. When we have Lord's Supper here at the church, it's always a, a should be a solemn event. It's not a time of joking around or any such thing as that. We're not going to have the Lord's Supper this evening. But I am going to take this passage and preach to you a message. I've had this message ready for quite some time, and I've used a few of the illustrations. Some of you might say, Brother Mike, you preached that not too long ago. I don't believe I preached the sermon, but I've used some of this sermon contents and some illustrations for some other sermons. So maybe at first I thought, well, I know I've preached this before, but as I got to thinking back, I said, no, I've not preached it yet, and if I have, it'll do you good to go over it again. Amen. I feel like the Lord would have me to preach this tonight. And so I'm going to preach to you tonight about remission, about remission. Now, you often hear that term, but most of the time you don't hear it explained. And if you do, I feel like there's a little bit of a, a, a misinterpretation of what remission is. So I want to go over this with you and let you learn what it is for yourself, and then you take advantage of it, and there's great power in it. Amen? And let me just say that simply. There's great power in remission. It's something that you have. It's not something that you necessarily have to work for, although you can work on it. You certainly can work on it. You can uh, cultivate it. And once you get it cultivated in your life, it'll have great power for you. And that's the Word of God on the matter. And so let's look in verse number. Well, let's, uh, let's start reading in Matthew 26 and verse 26. And it says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, and break it and gave it to his uh, gave it to the disciples and said take eat this is my body And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying drink ye all of it for this is my blood of the new testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins but i say unto you i will not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until the day when i drink it new with you in my father's kingdom All right, let's pray right there. Lord, we do thank you, God, for your goodness and for your grace. And we ask, God, that you would, uh, Lord, uh, uh, direct that grace upon us tonight as we open the Word of God and as we try to learn something from you, I pray that you would teach us. I do pray, God, for uh, each and every man, woman, boy, and girl in our congregation tonight that you would open their hearts, that you would drive away every distraction. Lord, that you would help us to put aside the thoughts and maybe even the dreads that we have. Towards the coming week, or whatever the case might be, whatever it is that would distract us from the Word of God tonight, I pray God that you would help us. I pray that you would rid me of all distractions, God, and I pray that you would help me just to preach as I ought to. Help me to say what I ought to tonight. I pray you'd help me to cover all these scriptures in a timely uh, 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 in a timely amount of time, God, in in just the right amount of time that that it would take. Lord, to impress these things upon the hearts and minds of your people. And I thank you and praise you for all that you do. In Jesus Christ's name I ask these things. Amen. Amen. All right, again, let me read verse number 28. For this is my blood. Now, what an an introduction that is. This is my blood. I preached you two or three messages in a row. It's been some time ago, but I preached to you about the blood of Jesus Christ. And so this he says, this is my blood. He takes the, the cup and of course uh the 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 introduction is symbolic. He's not drinking blood. Now the Lord wouldn't direct you to drink blood and then Break that commandment, amen? What he's talking about is in this Lord's Supper, he has something that represents his body and he has something that represents his blood. And you know, they're not drinking real wine. They're not drinking any kind of wine. He says, well, they are drinking some kind of wine, but it's not fermented wine. What he says in verse number 29, but I say unto you, I will not, henceforth, I will not drink henceforth of this of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new. With you, it's new wine that they're drinking, and of course, new wine. The word wine has been has been has lost its meaning in the day and time in which we live. There is a sense in which vinegar is a wine, and that's because wine is a fruit that come, is, wine is a liquid that comes from a fruit. That's what a wine is. And, of course, you've got wine now. The, most people, the only wine they know about is the kind that comes from a vineyard that they take and distill it. They take it and ferment it, and they put it in bottles so you can get drunk off of it. Well, this wine, he says, I'm not going to drink of this wine, this wine, not another wine, not a different wine. He said, I'm not going to drink of this wine until I drink it new with you, new wine with you in the kingdom. Now, this is a type of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And back uh, several years ago in our Bible school, we went through this thing about the wine. I believe it's online on Sermon Audio if you want to uh, take and listen to that and figure out all the things that are involved with this study about wine and whether a Christian should drink wine or drink strong drink. Well, One thing that we covered in that is the fact that this wine right here that the Lord is drinking it represents his blood, his precious blood, his undefiled blood. And so what you've got in this wine is you have a corrupted, that's what fermentation is. The, the process through which you get alcohol out of grapes is that you let them rot. You let it rot. And there ain't no rotten blood in Jesus' body, amen? And there's no rotten blood going to represent. The precious blood, the undefiled blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So anybody that uses Jesus as a crutch to get drunk is a fool. I don't care what religion they represent. If they pour hooch in a cup and tell you that it turns into Jesus blood, how you going to get corruption? How you going to get incorruption from corruption? Jesus never was corrupt. The only way that you and I can get away from the corruption of our blood, corrupted by Adam, is to partake of His precious blood and that's why he gave him this illustration not just by looking at the, the items he had in his hand he said you need to partake it and you need when it comes to the blood you need to drink all of it amen and he said you take this is my body when he's talking about the bread so the body and the blood you need to be a part of his body and you need to be a partaker of his blood amen so this is a great revelation about the blood of Jesus Christ and finally it's a solution they had they've been the law. I was thinking about some of these things today, and I was listening to a preacher. I was watching one of, uh, preaching video on the television set there, and I was listening to a fellow answer some questions about a thing. And there's always this question about dispensationalism, and I'm definitely not a hyper dispensationalist, but I am a dispensationalist. And I believe that there's dispensations in the Bible, and it's very easy to point out. It's very easy to see if you've got your eyes open, study the Scripture a little bit. You can see it very clearly. And the question arises: Why would God tell all these different people different things? And I said, Well, because man keeps messing that up. God put man in the garden. Who messed it up? God or man? Absolutely, God didn't, God didn't mess it up for you. You messed it up for you. Amen. And God began to deal with, God wiped out everybody on the earth and began to mess it up with Noah. And they messed it up in one day. They messed it up the first day. Amen. And God sent Moses and gave them the commandments and they didn't keep that. They didn't keep that worth nothing. Amen. There's times that some of the greatest men in the Bible were, were lax in keeping the law. When by the time they got to David's day, they had already forgot a great portion of keeping the law and what it meant. Amen. So they messed that up too. Amen. And then Jesus comes and dies on the cross and sheds his blood for you. And he says, the only thing you've got to do is call upon the name of the Lord. Believe on me. Uh, you be you to realize you're a sinner. You're to believe that I'm the answer for that sin. Call upon me and I'll save you. And guess what? Man messed that up too. Yep. Then the tribulation is going to come and the tribulation is not the church age. Right. Right. Amen. And guess what? When the Lord begins to pour out his wrath on the world, men are going to mess that up too. Instead of repenting, they're going to shake their fist at God. Amen. Then after that, God's going to have a thousand-year reign, and everything's going to be perfect, and everything's going to be good. And guess who messes that up? You say the devil. No, not the devil, man. At the end of the thousand-year reign, the devil be loosed for a little season. And you you know what men are going to do? They're going to take the devil's side. Then the Lord's going to put an end to that, and he's going to stop time, and he's going to do all these great and wonderful things. And then there will be a difference after that out in eternity. Man keeps messing things up and God keeps giving men new opportunities and giving man and what it does. It doesn't. It's not God compromising. It's not God changing his mind. The whole thing had been set up by God's plan to prove that whatever, whatever avenue you take, man is not capable of ruling and reigning in his own life. But that God only. Is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he proved, He's proved that under law. He's proved that under grace. He's proved that under the absence of law. He's proved that in a perfect condition in the garden. He'll prove that in the tribulation. He'll say, well, if you just there are people like myself to some degree that would say, Man, if you just if you'd just be harder on people, then people would respond. And there's a lot of truth to that, but you've got to admit that the Bible tells us that the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble, be the worst time there ever. Ever was on earth and it doesn't correct man. Amen? The answer is not being harder. The answer is not being softer. The answer is not being more understanding. The answer is not compromise. The answer is Jesus Christ. You say, where'd you learn that? By reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Amen? You keep reading just the book of John. Nothing wrong with the book of John at all unless that's all you're reading. Read the whole Bible. You get the whole picture. Amen. But what I'm telling you from Genesis to Revelation, hey, there's finally a solution. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's shoutable. It's shout worthy. It's hallelujah worthy. Amen. Of course, we've been a little bit dead and dry today, but the truth is still true. Maybe you'll wake up about Tuesday and say, oh, yeah, it's precious blood. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You can get excited about Sunday on Wednesday if that's what it takes, amen? Just don't forget it, amen? It's forgiveness blood. He said, this is my blood. This is my blood of the New Testament. It's forgiveness blood, amen? Ain't you glad you've been forgiven? Amen. Ain't you glad that God wiped away those sins that you've been ascending on and that, those actions you've been acting upon, those emotions that you've been letting come to the top and just fulfilling every need that you ever thought that you had? Just fulfill your own needs and step in a lot of junk on the way to that happiness you was looking for. But the Lord came along, convicted you of your sins. He got down upon your knee and Uh, Maybe you shed some tears. Maybe you didn't. But it didn't say, whosoever shall shed a tear shall be saved. He said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I can remember when I got saved as a little boy, and I can remember many times since when I come to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry i done that. I wish I would have never done that. The Lord never once said, that's okay. I've heard some preaching like that. That ain't what the Lord says. It ain't okay. If it's okay, you wouldn't have to ask forgiveness for it. But the Lord said, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Now, he says, go and sin no more. He said, well, don't the Lord know that people's going to go and sin no more? That don't take away the commandment. What the Lord knows and what the Lord requires are two different things. Amen. When he caught this woman, when they, when the people caught this woman in adultery, they brought him to Jesus. And he said, him that is without stone, he that is without sin cast the first stone. Nobody cast any stones there. And he said, hey. Oh, didn't no man condemn you? And she said, none, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. You say, well, everybody knows good and well you're going to go and sin some more. Well, now everybody knows we got the blood of Jesus Christ to wash away our sins. Amen. And to forgive us of our sins. But now we're talking about, and we've brought it up, we're talking about the fact that man is prone to sin. One of the hymn writers said, prone to wonder. What's that wondering that he's talking about? He's talking about wandering back in the world. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And so he talks about the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And he told us not to love those things. But you know that we do. Well, God commanded us not to do it. Well, we do do it. You Oh well, not me, Brother Mike. Oh, yes, you. Right. Well, surely not you, Brother Mike. You're a preacher. Surely me. Surely me. I don't know any man that's been unaffected by the world, the flesh, or the devil. Don't know anybody that hasn't been affected by that. you we say, well, if there is such a thing, if the, if the sin is so powerful, what's the solution for that? We can have our sins forgiven. But what is the solution for the power that sin has in our lives? What is the solution for the power that the flesh has in our lives? Is there a remedy for that? There sure is. And that's what he said here. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. He didn't say the forgiveness of sins, did he? Let me say this. The remission of sins and the forgiveness of sins are not the same thing. They're very connected. You know, cousins are in the same family, but not directly. Right? So, these things are related. These things are very close. And these things are kin to one another, but they're not the same thing. Remission and forgiveness is two different things. How do you know? They have two different definitions. They're spelled differently, ain't they? You don't spell forgiveness with an R on the front of it. (laughs) You got to move that R around a little bit to spell forgiveness, don't you? For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So we're going to talk about remission for just a little bit. People mistake remission, and they ought not to. You ought to look up words and so, Brother Mike, well, for, for years and years, religion has been teaching what remission is, and, and, and basically the teaching of remission is that it's forgiveness. Well, I don't care what religion teaches. If my favorite preacher teaches it, it's not true. It's not the same thing. Amen. You say, what do you do? You look up the words in a dictionary. That's right. Now, it's not impossible that a man writing a dictionary could get some things wrong. You surely could, but in general, I mean, you can't, if you get something wrong in a case like a dictionary, you're going to be called out on it from time to time because everybody else knows what's going on, amen? If I described to you that, that the color red was the absence of color, and I gave you that as a definition, why I, you might be dumb enough for me to Convince you of that, but eventually you'd run into somebody else that would say, "Now wait, let's compare the facts here." <laughs> Amen. So uh, you got to look at look up a word and find out what you're doing. Well, the Bible is the, the Bible is the final authority in all things. I understand that. I understand that. But the Bible doesn't teach that remission is forgiveness. Amen. And so a lot of people have taken a a, a misunderstanding about a medical term regarding remission and they've applied it, they've applied it to the biblical doctrine of remission because I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on remission. I've heard lots of sermons about Thanksgiving, or, uh, Thanksgiving. you ought to have that too, about forgiveness. I've heard many sermons about forgiveness and sometimes the people will uh, uh, intersperse the word remission in there with it, but that's just not what remission means. So a lot of people will have a cousin or an aunt or an uncle that has cancer and some, they'll get the phone call and say that the cancer went into remission and they'll begin to you know be glad and it's something to be glad about. Sure it is but what they've got in their mind is when they hear the word remission is that the cancer is gone and that is not what the word remission means. The word remission does not mean that the cancer is gone or whatever disease that you have. If a disease goes into remission, it does not mean that it's gone. It means that the disease, whatever it is, began, there was a beginning point, and it began to infect the body, and it began to grow in the body, and it began to get stronger in the body, and it began to take over the body, and when the moment of remission is when it, be- it loses its power to take over the body any further, and it can recede, but when it disappears, it's called something else. It's not called remission. When it disappears completely, it's called intermission. Remission is different from intermission. Now, the only thing, the only thing you define inter, uh, intermission now is the commercial that comes on in a movie so you can go get you some more popcorn or something like that. The movie went off. You call that an intermission. But when we're dealing with real world stuff and real life things, intermission in a disease is when it leaves the body entirely. And so what you want is you want sin to be forgiven, to be taken off of your record completely. That's through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's called forgiveness. But after we've got forgiveness, John says if we, if we, not if they. John didn't say if the world says they have no sins. He said if we. That's him and somebody else. And so one can draw the conclusion that he's talking about himself and the church. And that's the view that I take of it because that makes the best sense and the simplest sense. If we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves. Nobody deceiving us. That's something that's inside of your heart. Now, if I could come to you and I could say, now, Brother Curtis, all your sins is forgiven and you don't have any more sins. Maybe if you heard that every week, you might begin to try to fool yourself into it. But that's why the Bible says, let no man deceive you. You know when you go home. You know sometimes when you're sitting right here, you know that there's sin in your mind and sin in your flesh. You know it is. That's something that you, so the Bible didn't say, don't let nobody else deceive you when it comes to that. He said, let no man deceive himself in regards to these issues. He said if a man says he has no sin, he deceives himself. Amen. So he says uh, not to do that. He says you should recognize that you still do have uh, sin. Your flesh is still sinful. The, the thoughts of your and intents of your heart many times are sinful. Amen. Amen. But you've asked forgiveness. So why does this sin continue to invade my life and invade my thoughts? It's because we're in a world of sin. It's because that our flesh, we covered this in Ephesians chapter 1 over the last couple of weeks, we covered the fact that the, the flesh has not been sealed off from this world. The Spirit has been sealed off so that that flesh, that sin, that flesh and that sin can no longer damn your soul because it's sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, but this flesh can very much be affected by sin. That explains Romans chapter 12 when he says, he says, be not conformed to this world. You can conform this flesh to the world and live a fleshly life. But there ought to be something in a saved man that tells me, this is not the life for me. I have a new life. I I have a new goal in my life. I have a new aim in my life. I have a new calling in my life, and I want to submit myself to that. Well, a person that does want to submit himself to a life in Christ and wants to break the power of the sin, he uh, he ought to pay special attention to this uh idea of remission. Yeah. Jesus blood was shed for our forgiveness and Jesus blood was shed for our remission. Amen. Now let's look in Hebrews chapter 9 and let's try to let's try to take in some of these different aspects of remission. And I told you uh, what the definition of remission was not, uh, remission is abatement. Abatement. Uh, I told you to turn to Hebrews. Let me turn there while I'm talking if I can do that. Hebrews chapter 9. Remission, the definition of remission. Remission is abatement. Do you remember in the reading in the Old Testament about the flood? God shut Noah in. The rains came down. The floods began to come upon the earth, and it brought them up, and and they were safe in the ark. And as the as the rain began to stop, and as as the waters began to recede, the word recede, look that up in the dictionary if you want to. Uh, Noah began to send out the birds, and the. Blackbird went out and stayed out and the dove came out and went out and come back and all these things. Well, one of the words that the Lord uses to describe that water going away is the water abated. Yeah. You know, when before the, uh, everybody got up at once, I about lost my place. <laughs> uh, when, when when the water first came, I imagine that was a pretty violent storm. I mean, they'd never seen rain before. And it began to, and uh, have you ever, I, I know you folks don't live on the mountain, and if you lived around the mountain, you'd see these things easily. But we used to call them gully washers when I was a boy because it'd come a rain, and all of a sudden the bank that was on the west side of your house, it'd be over on the east side of your house because the rain done not come and wash that bank away. It's called erosion <laughs> for these modern-day earth lovers and stuff like that. Well, that's a pretty violent storm. And I can remember we only lived about a hundred feet or maybe a hundred yards, I should say, from the creek. And when when it would rain just a little bit, the creek would become violent. You could go down there and uh, it's called Lovell's Creek. It looked like a river to us, but they called it Lovell Creek, about maybe 20 yards across and not very deep. If it hadn't rained in the last couple of days, well, you could walk around in it and play in it and slip up on the slick rocks and maybe catch a fish or a snake every once in a while if you was dumb enough to look for a snake. But my brother found some, but I was never looking for none myself. But if it rained just a little bit, you couldn't walk around in that creek because it become violent. Well, you could go down there and sit if you had an hour or two to kill on the bank of the river and you could see it begin to get a little little less violent. See it become a little more calm as that water come rushing through. So you get the rain up there in them valleys and them draws and the water begin to run all down to one spot. Them creeks get up pretty fast. And some places in the world they call those flash floods. And they'll come in a flash. They'll be on you just like that. Well, they also begin to recede a little bit and that's called abatement and that's what remission is. It's something that's violent and becomes more violent and becomes more violent and all of a sudden some change takes place where the violence is taken away and then it begins to calm. It begins to calm itself and that's what remission is. It's an abatement. It's a temporary subsidence of the force or the power of a disease and you and I as, as men and you and I as men and, and women we have a terrible disease That disease is sin, amen? Amen. So the word remission means an abatement, a relaxation, a moderation. It also means a release from duty. If somebody has to pay a tax and they get a special permission not to pay that tax, that's called a remission. We might use that definition a little bit later. Hebrews chapter 9, now with all this in mind, let's look in Hebrews chapter 9, and let's look in verse number 22. Well, let's read a few more verses than that. Let's read verse 19. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, where does the knowledge of sin come from? Oh, and it's supposed to, if you listen to the law and you learn about sin, sin is supposed to become exceeding sinful. It's not just, oh, that's a sin, huh? That's not the reaction you're supposed to have. The Bible said, Paul said, when the the law came, sin revived, and I died. It killed me. Okay. Well, he said, he read, he had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law. He took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people saying, this is the blood of the New Testament. No, he says the testament here, don't he? What did he say in Matthew? Jesus said, "This is the blood of the new testament." Moses said the same thing at one point in time. He lifted it up and said, "This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled the blood, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry and almost all things are by the law purged with blood." And look, look at this. And without shedding of blood is no remission. Without shedding of blood is no remission. Did you know at some point in the history of man that, they, that somebody must have read this verse and that when people got sick they started bleeding them in order to try to get a remission? That's what they were trying to do. They had a raging fever. They would bleed them and try to get that fever to go into remission. Now of course that doesn't work. <laughs> Amen? Amen. You say this applies, doesn't this apply to to, to the medical field? No, it doesn't. I'll tell you what it does apply to, though. That sin that keeps on dragging you back down in the dirt after you've done got forgiveness of it. Amen. Amen. You say, what is it? It's blood for remission. Amen. When you, before you got saved, you was desperately Lost And you were on your way to hell. And those sins that you were enjoying every day, they just about had you choked out. And you called on the name of the Lord and he saved you from it. And I guarantee you there was a period, uh, I don't know how long it lasted, but I guarantee you there was a period after that which you didn't dare to get out of step with the Lord. You didn't have everything revealed to you. And you might have done some stuff that you didn't know was a sin, but those things, those sins that God used in your life to show you you was a sinner after you got saved, those things lost its power for a few days. Might have been a few weeks. Might have been a few years. But the temptation of some of those things did come back. Didn't you find it easy, before you got saved, you found it easy to dismiss somebody when they told you you ought not do that? Uh, that sin had you so bound and that sin had you so deceived that you would gladly take part in that ministry of death. Yes, I want to go out and do that again, even if it treated you bad, even if it left you with a hangover, even if it tore your family apart, even if it gave you cancer. I've seen people get cancer from smoking cigarettes and they'd be so lost and so so enthralled by the power of that cigarette that they would smoke cigarettes right there while they've got the cancer in their body. I've seen men that have these trachs cut in their, in their throat and they'll smoke the cigarettes out of the tray. You say, wow, that's the power of sin. That's the, that's the deceitfulness of sin and the strength of sin in a person's life. Amen. You say, what can break that sin? Well, the blood of Jesus Christ. Without blood, there is no remission. Amen. And I've saw some people get saved and spend some time. After that, they had got saved. Boy, they wouldn't dare to step out of line and do some of those things again. But after they've been, you know, the preachers stand in the pulpit and talk about grace, 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 and we don't keep the law and we don't live by works or nothing like that, which is totally ridiculous. Christians go back and begin to give themselves over to that bondage again, and then they'll. The Lord will smite their heart about that thing. They'll say, oh, I'm sorry about that. And when they call on the Lord for forgiveness of it again, the power of it goes away. You say, what is it? That's remission. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's there's the blood for remission of sin. Now, what we're going to talk about and what we have been talking about, I guess since we already read Hebrews, we're going to talk about some things that will help you get remission of sins to break the power of sin in your life. Even as a Christian, you can begin to do some things that's tearing you down and breaking you apart and taking away principle and eating up your life. And it might be deceiving you, but you can get free from that deception and get back on the right track. Amen? Now, not only do we have the blood for remission, but let's look in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. And I want to show you just a few things. And I don't think it'll take more than just a few minutes, but I want to show you some things here tonight that will help you. I've already showed you one, the blood, but I want to show you that, these, that you can get power over these things. And it's going to be a fight. Now listen, I'm going to tell you right up front, it'll be a fight either way. The Bible, uh, Paul said, "I fought a good fight." Every time he tried to get uh, a hold of his life, and every time he tried to get a hold of the lives of others, it was a fight. And you're not going to get out of a fight. I'm telling you that. If you want to get free from the bondage of sin in your life, you're going to get a fight from it. You say, "Hey, I'm not doing this no more." I guarantee. Now, listen. I know you love your wives, you ladies. I know you love your husband. But just as soon as you try to start doing right, your husband or wife, you're going to jump on you about something. Amen? Over there, in the book of Acts, over there in the book of Job, the devil was talking to God, and God was talking to the devil, and they brought up the subject of Job. And the devil stood right there in the presence of God and said, If you mess with him, if you do this and this to him, he'll curse you to your face. And just as soon as God began to deal in the life of Job, his own wife used the exact words that the devil used and said, Curse God and die. That was the ministry of the devil toward Job, and he was using the mouth of Job's wife to do it. Oh, well, Job's wife should have died and went to hell right there. No, Job's wife eventually uh, helped Job get back to one of the best periods in his life. Did you know after Job went through, the, went through the, uh, the, the affliction that he went through that God restored him and they had more children and they had more money and they had more than more anything than they ever had before? God gave it all back to them. God allowed Job's wife to enjoy that with them. But I'll tell you this, you may live a long life with your spouse, but I'm telling you what, if you decide to live for the Lord, the devil is going to try to use your husband or your wife to jump right on you your brother, your sister, your boss man at work. I'm telling you, the fight's coming. I'm telling you, I've told you this before. I told you there was a time when I loved Star Trek, loved it. And just about every time I would decide, man, I ain't fooling with this entertainment business no more. They come out with a new Star Wars, uh, Star Star Wars, or Star Trek, or something like it. Man, I got I got to watch old Luke beat up Darth Vader. Just got to do it. You say why? Cause I got a feeble mind, just like you do. And just about the time you start wanting to do something for God, they'll send you a little distraction. Amen. It's a fight. Amen. It's a fight. It's a fight. It's a fight. Amen. And just about the time you get some things right in your mind, the devil will come up and start attacking you over things you got forgiveness for 20 years ago. It's a fight. It's a fight. I wish I had more time to preach on the fight, but I really would rather preach this message tonight. We'll preach about the fight some other night. Acts chapter 10 and verse number 43. Well, let's read verse 40. Him God raised up the third day. wonder who they're talking about since we started in the middle of the verse. Talking about Jesus Christ, is he not? Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him gave all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. You say, how do I get remission? You get remission through the blood, and you get remission through belief. One of the best things you can do in a time of temptation and in a time when sin really is getting a hold of your life is just believe God. Believe God. And listen, you say, well, everybody, that's kind of a generic thing, Brother Mike, for you to just tell us to believe God. Well, listen, I think it's more than that, and I think you ought to know that it's more than that. Many people have just said, well, I believe God. And the Bible says the devils believe and tremble. Well, they ain't getting no help. I preached you a sermon many years ago, I think it was about nine years ago, and said the devil can quote Scripture, but he can't get no help from it. Well, that's what, the, that's what he's talking about. The devils believe and tremble. They fear God. Isn't that the beginning of wisdom? They're trembling about something. They're not cold. That makes sense? That means they're feared. They're afraid, does it not? But they don't get no help from it. But you and I, brother, if we fear the Lord, and if we believe on him, it means more than just saying, yes, I believe that, ho-hum and go about your life. That's not what it's talking about. I'm talking about, listen, a man that believes will open the Bible and read it, and he'll either be filled with joy and assurance, or he'll be afraid, or something will go on. And when he comes to church and listens to the preaching, he won't sit there going, man, when is this going to be over? He'll, man, I really believe what's going on here. I, re- I mean, tell me something else. Uh, preach another sermon. Say, read another verse of Scripture. Man, this is just wonderful. It's, you know, it like people believe conspiracy theories. They get so excited about those things. You wouldn't believe the amount of idiots that believe the world is flat. I'm looking down because I'm afraid if I look up, I'll see somebody looking at me wide-eyed. Brother Mike, the Bible says the world is flat. No, it don't. No, it doesn't. Oh. So you've been listening to high school teachers and atheists and evolutionists tell you that Christians used to believe that the world was flat. Well, there was quite a few people in the dark age that was pretty dumb because they had been uneducated. Augustine, one of the main devils in the Catholic Church, taught that it was best not to let people have a good education. And so there was a lot of dummies in the, in, in, in the dark ages that, that didn't know nothing about nothing. Amen? Amen? But the Bible never taught that the world was flat, not one time, not one time in a million. Matter of fact, you go back to the book of Proverbs and you read about those cycles that take place in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. There ain't no way for anything to run a cycle like that, lest the world was round. Amen? You feast on that. Amen? But what I'm trying to say is these people, you know, you get on, get on the Internet and just run them down, and find all the crazy conspiracies that's going on this day and time, and there ain't no truth to half of that stuff, but people's glad to believe it. And once they believe it, boy, they'll change their whole life. I've got to find out what Joe Schmo says about that. And I hear there's a guy out there in California, and I hear there's a guy over in Texas that has a lot of information on this, and they'll spend their money and they'll spend their time trying to learn this new lie that's being told. Well, that's what it means to be a Christian as well. Tell me about Jesus. Tell me about Jesus. Me and Brother Case was talking on the phone the other day, and he was telling me a story about this hymn writer that, that wrote the hymn, uh, tell me the story of Jesus right on my heart every word. And there was another sister hymn that went with that. And this lady, her doctor told her, if you want to live, you have to go home and you have to lay in the bed a whole year and you won't be able to do nothing. Or you can continue life just as you're doing it and you can, you can die. So she chose to get well. And as she uh, as she uh, laid there in the bed, she wrote these hymns, Tell Me the Story of Jesus, and there's another one there. I can't remember what it was, but the lady wrote, there's 50 verses to that song. That's kind of crazy. Uh, uh, Sister Kim Case found 48 of those verses she's collected into, uh, into her little notes and stuff, but that's a lot of verses. But she had a, she had a year's time to deal with. Yeah. Amen. But what'd she do? She just kept on. She just kept on digging out the treasures of, of the story of Jesus and kept writing those verses down. It meant something to her, see? It meant something. You say, What is that? That's belief. I'm not talking about just saying, Yes, I'm a Christian. I belong to the First Baptist Church. And aren't we all wonderful? No, we're all rotten, matter of fact. But we've got a wonderful Savior. We've committed our lives to Him. And we want to know more about Him. And that's, what, that's the kind of belief I'm talking about. You say, What's the advantage of it? Remission of sins hard to think about Jesus and be very deviant, ain't it? Well, that's what I'm trying to get across to you. If you'll believe on him, he'll break the power of that sin. I've already told you about 1 John chapter 1 and all this stuff, so we're going to move on a little bit. But remission of sin is in the blood. Remission of sin is in belief. And then let me say this. In remission of sin, there's less power. Let's look in Acts chapter 26. Remission of uh, remission of sin has to do with the power of things. Let's look in Acts chapter 26 and I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Acts chapter 26 and verse number 18. Acts 26 verse number 18. Uh, verse 16, But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things into which I will appear unto thee, Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me, by faith that is in me. If you've got faith that is in Jesus Christ, then what one of these things that's mentioned in this passage is that you'll be turned from darkness to light. Does that sound like getting tangled up more in sin or less in sin? Well, that's really a defining statement of what remission is. And he says, from the power of Satan unto God. Does that sound like you're breaking bondage or you're getting into bondage? Getting out of it, ain't it? If he turns you from the power of Satan. Now, let's look at another verse like that in the book of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, chapter 1, and lucky number 13, but we'll have to read verse 12 with it. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. When we got saved, we was delivered from the power of darkness. Well, that strength that sin had in your life was because of the power of darkness. You ever notice how people like to hear preaching about demons better than they like to hear preaching on the blood of Jesus? I detect a little bit of apathy in the atmosphere tonight, but if I was preaching on the devil, you'd be paying attention. If I put a big sign out front said we're going to have a seminar on demons this week, we could pack the house every night. Right. We're going to talk about tarot card reading, and we're going to talk about Ouija boards, and we're going to talk about devils playing the piano at the People's Baptist Church and slamming doors. and I mean, We're going to talk about all this stuff. We'd have a crowd so big we couldn't handle them. We'd have to put them in overflow over there in the fellowship hall. But if we put out a sign and say we're going to talk about the blood of Jesus, hmm, who hum yeah. mm-hmm. That's because people hadn't had that remission I'm talking about. Amen? Amen. They hadn't got the power of sin broke in their life. I believe people worship the devil that way a little bit. Amen? If you're more afraid of the thing that's in your closet than you are God, that's right. next time you decide to turn up a fifth of liquor, go over there in the closet and make sure Jesus ain't in there. You check and see if the devil's in there before you go to bed. The least you can do is check your closet and make sure God ain't in there before you drink a fifth of liquor. Amen. Amen. Remission means less power of, of the devil and less power of darkness in your life. It's remission. That's what it is. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And then let me say this. Turn to Turn to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1 and I want to say remission means less penalty for sin. Isn't that good news? Yeah. Yeah. Did you know the wages of sin is death? Yeah. If the Lord doesn't come back before too long, you and I are going to die physically. You say, why? Because we're sinners. Yeah. Now if the rapture were to take place, the Lord would change our body in the moment in the twinkling of an eye and some of us would escape that death like Enoch did. But if he tarries, we're going to die. You know that. It's correct, don't you? The remission means less penalty for sin. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians or excuse me, First Thessalonians chapter 1 and let's look at verse number 8. He says, "For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything" For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols. Somebody broke the power of idols in your life. Amen? Amen. How ye turned to God from idols and served the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The wrath to come that's going to be poured out on this earth is a payment for sin. It's a payment for rejection of the Lord. It's a, it's a payment for a lot of things. It's a payment for messing around with the, with the harlot of the book of Revelation. But remission means that God has broken that power in our lives. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 13 says, God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. There's a breaking of power that verse is talking about. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation... Not going to take the temptation away, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear. That you may be able, see that you may be able. There's power involved there. That you may be able to get out of bed in the tomorrow it means you better eat your vegetables today. Amen. It's where your strength and your power comes for for your physical body. Remission is less penalty for sin. You ought to be. Glad about that. Let's look in Mark chapter 1. And I'm going to tell you that you can get remission. You can get power over sin in your life by obedience. Mark chapter 1. You know, if you do what God tells you to do, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. There's a result for being obedient. So we don't have to be obedient in the New Testament because we live by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works. You better be obedient to the commands that God gives you in the New Testament. Amen? We don't live by the Ten Commandments anymore, Brother Mike. I know there's a lot more than ten in the New Testament. (laughs) There's a bunch more than 10 in the New Testament. I I suggest you be obedient to them. Amen. Amen. Now, let's look in Mark, the book of Mark, chapter number 1. Mark, chapter 1, and verse number 4, and it says this. Well, we can read verse 1, can't we? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Talking about John there. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of the repent, uh, excuse me, the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, the remission to take away the power of sin in your life. You say, what was that baptism about? It was about the same thing your baptism is about. You get saved there's a there's a real hesitancy in your flesh, saved or lost to do anything on public display Amen, yeah. amen. I know they is cause the tracks don't disappear too fast in the track rack amen. Well, what John's talking about here or what Mark is talking about here is one of the things that can break the power of sin in your life. And you say, well, he uses baptism here. Yeah, but this baptism is obedience. God sent John out to preach and what John required was a baptism. And some of the people came out uh, to hear John preach and to see what was going on. And he said, "Who, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What are you bunch of rebellious devils out doing out here at this? He said, why don't you come down here in the water and do works, meet for repentance? What's he talking about? Obedience. If you folks believe in God, why don't you get down here and do what God said to do? hmm For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Stay up on the bank, you old Pharisee. I believe I'll make me a sermon. I believe I just got me a sermon idea out of that. Listen, there's a lot of Baptists that wouldn't be obedient for nothing in this world because they live by grace. And we just love everybody and we're full of grace and, and you're full of hell is what you are. Why don't you get down the water and do what God told you to do. Get off the bank, you old Pharisee. Amen. Well, Pharisees the ones doing work. The Pharisees the one that trust themselves. That's what a Pharisee does. Pharisee ain't got nothing to do with keeping the law. They didn't keep it themselves. Amen? The Pharisees didn't keep nothing. They kept their own precepts. That's what they kept. There There ain't nothing Pharisaical about a man that loves God's word and wants to do what God tells him to do and told him to do. Oh, he's a Pharisee. No, he's not. He's doing what God told him to do. Hmm? Don't let nobody deceive you with that junk. When you be obedient to God, it breaks the. P- Listen, I tell you what I've told you a million times. I'll tell you again. You come in here sometime when there ain't nobody here and spend two or three hours in prayer. I guarantee you would go home. There ain't no, you'll be walking on. You'll be walking on pins and needles, thinking, "Boy, I better not do a misstep." You say why? Because obedience to God. You've spent time in prayer like God told you to do. You've been obedient, and that, that it'll change your life. It'll change your life. I will say that there are people that's jaded enough and there are people with a, with a seared conscience enough that they'll go through the motions and still go out and do all kinds of... I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about you. Get your heart right with God and do what God tells you to do. Amen? And then see how, see how things change. Get out and witness. Get out sometimes and hold a sign on the side of the street or do something like that. Uh, get out and witness and read your Bible and spend some time in prayer. You're not going to do too much watching no X-rated jump. You say, why? Because obedience to God breaks the power of sin in your life. Some of you folks have been watching stuff on television that you ought not. You've been looking at dirty pictures and stuff like you ought not do. And you why can't I break this stuff? Because you're not being obedient to God in other areas. Amen. I guarantee you go home and read your Bible for about an hour and 45 minutes or two hours. Go out and hold a street sign on the side of the street. You're not going to go home and look at that stuff. What you'd have to do, what you'd have to do is you, you, if you read your Bible two hours today and prayed for two hours today and went out and passed out some gospel tracts, you'd have to wait four or five days after that before you could turn that pornography back on. How could a Christian watch pornography? They're not doing what they ought to do. That's what's wrong. They're going to church and singing in the choir and saying amen once in a while. And they're going home and laying their Bible on their shelf and they ain't doing nothing else. And church is just enough on Sunday morning to keep them out of trouble 45 minutes or an hour. That's good. That's good Obedience Amen. breaks the power of sin in your life. You being personally obedient to God breaks the power of sin in your life. And you do that constantly. You do that on a, on, on a discipleship basis to where you're making that part of your life every day. You'll have some hard time. You'll have a hard time until that just becomes ritual to you. When reading your Bible becomes ritual to you, the flesh will step in because it lusts against the spirit. You'll be back in a mess again. Amen. Look for it like you're looking for proof that the world is flat. Amen. Remission by obedience. Amen. And then there's remission in the indwelling of the spirit. Amen. Let's look at Romans chapter three. <clears throat> Romans chapter three. My blood pressure got up there just a little bit because I'll tell you this: this nonchalant attitude about sin is ru- it's not only ruining the churches; it's 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 going beyond ruining the churches. It's ruining the country that we live in. Amen. Now all you got to do is have some fella shoot up someplace and people get out of their mind. All you've seen on the news for the last week is about this shooting over there in New Zealand. Wouldn't that a terrible thing? Go ahead and say yes because it's bad. You're not supposed to go kill and murder people like that. But listen, them getting shot up in one of their mosques doesn't forgive them for 2,000 years of doing it to everybody else. You reap what you sow. I don't give a flip if they shoot up a mosque a day. You're welcome very much. You say, why? You reap what you sow. Listen, it wouldn't make my heart skip a beat if every drug dealer in this town got shot and killed tonight. I wouldn't shed a, 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 a single tear about that. It wouldn't bother me one bit. The world is a better place without them. Amen. 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 Well, I just feel more affection for them than that because you're like them. You love them. And as long as they're getting away with what they're getting away with, you suppose you'll get away with what you're getting away with, you old hound dog you. You ought to get loose from the power that sins got over your life, and you'd see clearly. Amen. Amen. Not going to see me crying about, and the the nerve, the nerve of a bunch of uh, of a bunch of democratic nations getting up and condemning the fact that one stupid man in New Zealand shot up a mosque when they've been sending troops to the Middle East for the last twenty cotton picking years, killing them by the dozens every day. Does that make sense to anybody else but me? You think New Zealand or Australia or the United States or England or France gives a rip how many Muslims get killed? They absolutely do not. If the man would have used a Glock 9mm, you wouldn't have even heard the story. He would to use an AR pistol or something like that, so that's just another something we can put in our arsenal to get people to give them up. I ain't giving mine up. I'm going to keep mine. If you ain't got one, I'd go out and buy one and was you. Amen. Let me get my blood pressure back down just a little bit. Amen. I'll say amen to that. Romans chapter 3. Get me upset. I get off subject. But indwelling, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit give you remission. Amen. Let's read what it says in Romans chapter 3. It says, uh, It says, Let's, we got to read verse 24 the meat's in verse 25 but we got to read 24 being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus there's your salvation whom God, hath, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood that's the way we started off the sermon to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past how is it that you have the righteousness of Christ you have it through imputation You have it through, as we talked about in Ephesians chapter 1, the sealing of the Spirit brought Christ's righteousness into your body. It sealed your soul and your spirit until the day of redemption, and you're indwelt by the righteous Spirit of God, and that brings, as it said here in the passage, remission of sins that are passed through the the forbearance of God. The sins that are past, remission of the sins that are past, the sins that you had before you got saved. When you got saved, you were redeemed, you were indwelt, God's righteousness was imputed unto you, and it broke the power of the sin so that the best time to quit smoking, quit drinking, uh, quit carousing, quit running around with other men's wives or other wives' husbands, the best time to get rid of that stuff is when you first get saved. You say, why? Because it's, it's a good dose right there, amen? And a lot of people do break their worst habits right when they get saved. Now, listen, if you've been saved any time period and you still got uh, some vice or some addiction, you can break that addiction through the righteousness that Christ has given you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Make no mistake, there is a war going on in that regard. I'm going to read you now Galatians chapter 5. I've probably hacked it up by quoting it to you a couple of times today, this morning and this evening as well. But Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh... And these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now, that verse didn't say anything about good or bad. It said you can't do the things that you would. It might be that you would do something wrong. But if the Spirit of God is the influence in your life, you'll say, boy, I want to do that, but I just shouldn't do it. I'm tempted to do that, but Christ has made a way for me to escape. That's submitting to the Spirit. But then on the other hand, you could submit to the flesh, and you might want to pray, but you can't pray five seconds. You might say, hey, the right thing for me to do is read my Bible. But when I pick up my Bible, I just lose interest so fast I can't focus on it. Well, that's because you've been submitting to the flesh, and you can't do the things that you would. That thing works both ways just like that. You say, what, where's, the, where's the power to break those things that hinder me from doing the right thing? It's through the indwelling spirit. That's the time when you get down on your face and godly sorrow worketh repentance. And God, I'm sorry for the condition I'm in. Help me and forgive me and strengthen me to be able to do the right thing. And that's when the Lord will say, do this or do that. And he'll get, I believe he'll give you a, 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 a direct impression on what to do. and you Be obedient. And maybe it is you'll go to church and the preacher will preach against something. you say, well, I'm just not. Listen, stop just throwing up your hand and saying, I'm just not in agreement with that and be obedient. That's what you ought to do. And if you're not going to do it, you're not going to break the power. And the problem with that is one day you'll die. And after that, stand at the judgment. And your opportunities will be gone. The best thing, the best time to get right is down here. Amen. Now, I want to look at one final verse. Let's look in Hebrews chapter 10. And this is a blessed verse. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's look at verse number 17. Hebrews 10, 17. Oh. Again, we can't start right there. Verse 15. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is witness. We were talking about the indwelling of the Spirit, so that's a good place to start. Wherefore, the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. And after that, he said before, for after that, he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts. That's a good verse right there for all these grace people. Brother Mike, don't you believe in the grace? I believe in it more than you do. Yes. <laughs> Amen? Yes. You say, are you sinful, Brother Mike? Yes. Does the Lord still deal with you? Yes, because he's very graceful. Yes. Amen? Brother Mike, are you sinful more sinful than I am? Yes, I'm 20 times more sinful than you are. And you still think God deals with you? Yes, he is. And he'll deal with you too if you'll submit yourself to him. Well, I've just done some wrong things, brother Mike. You don't understand. I recommend you get back with, uh, get right with him because he's graceful. Right. He's full of mercy. He's ready to forgive. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Get right. I believe it. Amen. But his values ain't changed. His holiness ain't changed none. His hatred of sin had not changed none. Amen. He says, Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. That's why he says, Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Talking about the study of the Word of God back in Romans 12. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Hallelujah. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. The Lord's already made the offering that would power all the remission you'd ever want. Every, every habit that you'd ever want to break, every bondage of every sin that you've ever got yourself involved with, you've already got the power to do it because one sacrifice of Christ took care of the whole thing. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. You have remission already. You have the power of remission Bound up inside of you. As I said before, you're indwelt by the Spirit of God. As long as the Spirit of God is sealed down deep inside of your body, you've got the power to break any, anything that's wrong with your flesh. Right now, you've got the power to break it. You've got the power to break habits. You've got the power to, to break long attached sins. You've got the power. Now, we will talk about spiritual things just a little bit. You've got the power to break any curse that's been on your family. You've got the power to break any tradition that's been in your, in your family of, of, of degradation or perversion or anything like that. Anything that's mental, that's attached to your mind, whether it was abuse you suffered years ago, whether it was habits. You picked up years ago, whether it's anything like that, you've got the power inside you to break that. You've got the power to get over grief. Listen, grief can, be, can go into remission in your life. Your pitiful little depression and stuff like that, you've got the power to break those things in your life. And I don't speak lightly or foolishly, those things that are attached to your mind can be broken those things that, that bring you to the point of of pitifulness and, and what it does is is these things, sin, grief, depression, all the problems that man gets himself into, they bring a the man to nothing. They bring him to a place where he has no power, he has no effect, he has no efficiency, he has no hope. But God said in the power that's in you, the Holy Spirit of God that's in you, not Not your power, but the Holy Spirit that's in you. That sacrifice that he made on the cross provided remission in your life. So what do I have to give God in order to do it? The sacrifice has been made. It's been made, amen. You foster faith in your life. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You foster obedience in your life. Stop being a skeptic. Stop fighting against everything that's said from the pulpit. Stop fighting against everything that the Greeks should have said or the Hebrews should have said or the Latin should have said. Take the Bible that God gave you. Put it in your lap. Open it. Read it. Believe it. Trust in the Holy Spirit of God that God gave you to lead you into paths of righteousness. Seek after those paths of righteousness. Do what God tells you to do. Submit your life to God. God will begin to break those things that are dragging you down those things that are killing the power in your life and turning the lights off in your life, God can break those things for you, and he'll break them for you if you're a poor man or a rich man. He'll break them for you if you're a a layman sitting on the pew and nobody even knows you're there every week, or he'll do it for you if you're the pastor of the church. doesn't make any difference. Every one of us got that same power down deep inside. All you got to do is turn the light switch on. These are the light switches I gave you here tonight. You say, Brother Mike, I do some of those things, but not all those things. Try all of them. Amen? Try a complete Christian life for once. Stop just living around the fringes of Christianity and take it all in. Amen? Why swim in the ankle-deep kiddie side of the pool when you can jump in the side that'll get you in all the way over your head? Amen? Get in the deep end for a change, you big sissy. If you're afraid to go in by degrees, get up on the diving board and jump off. Amen? And we used to go to the YMCA to go swimming when I was a boy, and I was terribly afraid because I couldn't swim. And one day I just decided, well, I'm going to go all in. I got up on the high dive, and I must have stayed up there 15 minutes. The lifeguard was going, get down, get down. I decided I was going to get up there and jump off. I'm just going to get up there and jump and just hope for the best. (laughs) I'm going to learn to swim or what? I don't know what I was thinking. Amen? But finally I did. I said, well, here we go. Went, went off of there and jumped off of there, and I come up. <laughs> <laughs> some girl, some big girl come hauled me over to the side. What is you doing? I don't know, trying to swim. Well, can't you swim? No. Well, go play in the kiddie pool. No, I ain't doing that. I don't want to play in the kiddie pool, amen. I want to be in the big boy pool. Don't you? Amen. Don't you want to be on the big boy side for a while, Amen. Amen. I hope that you do take these things to heart, would you? Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness and for your grace. And I ask you, dear God, to open our eyes to these things.